Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Our scripture today is from John 12, 1 through 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today we find ourselves in a suburban home. Picture that just outside of Jerusalem in Bethany, a suburbia of Jerusalem, a home that felt like home to Jesus, a place where Jesus would stop for respite with old friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, before next Sunday, when he will enter into the city of Jerusalem for the last time. And John tells us that Jesus loved, loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus loved them. And John does not tell us why. Maybe there is no why to this kind of love. But John makes sure we, the readers, know how much Jesus loves them, how much they mean to the life and to the ministry of Jesus. What we do know is that they called him Lord, So they knew who he was, and yet they were not his disciples, at least not in any formal sense. They didn't follow him around. They didn't hang on his every word. 
they were his friends. As real of friends as we can identify Jesus ever having in the Gospels. Three people in whose, whose presence Jesus could be not just the Messiah, but just a man. I wonder if you've ever thought about Jesus having those people in his life, the people where he could just be a man. And just days before our reading today, Jesus had worked a miracle in their house. This wasn't a planned stop on his journey. This was not planned. This wasn't a tailored lesson for his disciples either. He had been across the river teaching and healing and pissing off religious leaders and saying controversial things. That's what he does and warning his quite dense disciples of what was to come. When Mary and Martha's message reaches him, Lord, it read, the one you love is ill. His dear friend, Lazarus, the only man we know in scripture that he can be with as just a man. He's dying. And so he had to go to them, knowing full well it would be too late by the time he even got there. And Lazarus, it says, was so dead that he stank when he arrived. And so, so dead that Jesus stood in the front of the tomb and wept for his friend. Maybe that puts more perspective on why Jesus wept. This was his friend, not just some guy named Lazarus. And Mary and Martha stand by and watch what happens. After wiping the tears away from his eyes, Jesus, he summons up this power within himself, the kind of power that only the Son of God can summon up. And he roars so loudly at death that he scares away death itself. And Mary and Martha are frightened by this version of Jesus, trying to decide whether they should run too. Should they flee too? Until all of a sudden, their, their brother Lazarus comes stumbling out of the tomb with his shroud like trailing behind him as if it was like this used cocoon. Now remember, this was not a planned stop along the journey to Jerusalem. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their home in Bethany was his home away from home. The place where Jesus did the boring things that, not, that are not written in the Bible. Like, you know, fired up the smoker and enjoyed a good cigar in an Adirondack chair facing over the river, you know, and read a good book and took long naps and enjoyed Martha's cooking. She made the best scones while Mary played for for her friend the newest thing she had learned on the harpsichord, right? Jesus hadn't intended to stop there. And so he had no time to shoo off the crowd or divert the temple, the temple posse hot on his trails. But what he had just done, roaring in the face of death and saying no more to death, well, that, that just graduated Jesus from, from the category of like a manageable nuisance 
to a serious threat. News of the incident had sent his followers over the top. There was no chance now that that Pilate could ignore Jesus during the Passover festival. It is time for Jesus to disappear before he leads hundreds to their deaths. It was this moment that numbered Jesus' days. And when he arrives at his friend's house in, in, in that Jerusalem suburb of Bethany for his dinner celebration, this party, you know, post-Lazarus resurrection, where Jesus, the one who roared in the face of death, is going to be the honored guest at this party, his friends can tell. They can tell Jesus is a bit on edge, a bit fragile. And so Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they take Jesus in and they care for him, shutting out the world for one last night so he can have some rest. And Lazarus is still a little bit clumsy from those four days in the tomb, right? And he sits and he just stares while Martha builds a fire and wraps a blanket around Jesus and serves up a good stew. And Mary, meanwhile, well, she slips away. She's gone to find something in her room. Martha is used to this about Mary. Mary always seems to be disappearing. Even when, she is, even when she's sitting right there in front of you, she seems to be in some other world. She always gets that look on her face like she's listening to music no one else can hear. Mary is always disappearing. She gets this look on her face, and Martha knows there is nothing to be done but to, to just work around Mary, being careful to... to to reel Mary in when it matters and when her attention's needed. And finally, supper's on the table. And they all sit down to eat, sharing what they're grateful for, speaking aloud all the things they're hopeful for. Meanwhile, no one is talking about what is. They're all hiding this this very real fear, hiding the reality of the moment, the fragility of the moment. Here, Lazarus is sitting near his, his best friend, Jesus. Jesus sitting near his best friend, Lazarus, unaware of... Lazarus is completely unaware of the trade that has occurred. Unaware that in raising Lazarus from the dead, in roaring at death and summoning Lazarus from the tomb... Jesus has officially traded his life for the life of his friend. The recently deceased Lazarus of Bethany will outlive the Savior Jesus of Nazareth. It's this fragile moment, and no one is talking about it. They're talking about everything but it. And no one notices that Mary's gone again until she comes back holding this clay jar in her hands. And wordless, she kneels at Jesus' feet and breaks the jar, breaks the jar's neck and the smell of, of spikenard oil, this potent scent that's, that's halfway between like mint and, and ginseng, it fills the room. And then as everyone in the room watches her, she does like four remarkable, remarkable things. First, she loosens her hair in a room full of men, which an honorable woman never does. 
She loosens it and lets it down. And then she pours perfume on Jesus' feet, which is also not done. The head, maybe, people do that to kings. They pour oil on a king's head, but not the feet. And then she touches him, a single woman rubbing a single man's feet. Also not done, not even among friends. And finally, she wipes the perfume off with her hair that she's loosened and let, and let out. Totally inexplicable, like this bizarre end to an all-around bizarre act. And most of us were so moved by the scene that we overlook all the oddities and the, the fragile nature of it. The point is that, that she loved him, right? But we uh, confuse this account, and you may already in your mind be like, I thought Mary, who, what? We confuse this account with the three other versions of this story in the Bible. One each from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the first two, an unnamed woman anoints Jesus' head at the house of Simon the leper during the last week of his life. And then in the third story, the scene happens at Simon the Pharisee's house, much earlier in Jesus's ministry, and there's Jesus eating a supper, wiping, wiping his hands and his mouth, and, 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 and this notorious sinner slips in the room unannounced and stands weeping over his feet and then drops to the ground and covers him his feet with kisses before rubbing them with the oil of myrrh. It's only in John's version of the story that the woman has a name and we have attributed it to other Marys before but it's in this story that she has a name, Mary and in this story, she has a relationship with Jesus' friend. Not a stranger, not a notorious sinner, but this longtime friend who knew Jesus as a man and Messiah, which makes her act even more peculiar. He knows she loves him. He loves her too. So why this public demonstration, this odd pantomime, and in front of all their friends at this party in the suburbs, it's excessive. She's gone overboard, as Judas is quick to note. Why wasn't this perfume sold for a lot of money and just given to the poor? Jesus knows Judas don't care about the poor. That's what Jesus, Judas wants to know, but, but, but Jesus brushes him aside. Leave her alone. She, she bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You ha you'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me with you. Which, let's be honest, is about as odd of a thing for Jesus to say as the very thing Mary did. Here is this champion of the poor always putting their needs ahead of his suddenly reversing the course? Leave me alone. Let this, let this once, let, just let this woman look after me. 
Because my, my time's running out. That doesn't sound like Jesus. Whatever Mary thought about what she did, whatever she thought about it, or whatever anyone else in the room thought about it, Jesus took it as a message from God in that moment. Not the hysteric duties of a woman gone mad, or, but, but, but the carefully performed act of a prophet in his midst. Everything about Mary smelt of significance. Judas, the betrayer, challenging her act. The flask of, of, of spikenard, wasn't it left over from Lazarus's funeral? And out in the yard, this, this freshly vacated tomb that still smelled of burial spices, waiting for a new occupant. The air was, was dense with death, and while there may at first have been some doubt about whose death it was, Mary's prophetic act reveals the truth. She was anointing Jesus for his burial. And while her behavior may have seemed strange to those standing around, it was no more strange than that of the prophets who went before her. Ezekiel eating the scroll of the Lord as a sign that he carried the word of God around inside of him. That's a strange thing. Or Jeremiah smashing the clay jar to show God's judgment on Judah and, and Jerusalem. Or, or Isaiah walking around naked and barefoot as an oracle against the nations. Prophets do things like that. They act out, they act out the truth that no one else can see, no one else is willing to speak to. And everyone seems to be trying to forget. And those standing around either write them off as nuts or fall silent before the disturbing news that they bring from God. And when, when Mary stood before Jesus with that pound of, of pure nard in her hand, it could have gone either way. She, she could have anointed his head and everyone could have proclaimed, here's the king. But she didn't do that. When she moved toward him, she, she dropped to her knees instead and poured the perfume on, on his feet, which could only mean one thing. The only man who got his feet anointed was a dead man. And Jesus knew, knew it. Leave her alone, he said to those who would have prevented her. Let her finish delivering her message. Let her bring to light how fragile this moment is. That it's okay to be fragile, to be broken open, to say and give room to what no one else here wants to say. So, so Mary rubbed his feet with perfume so precious that its, its sale might have fed a poor family for a year. An act so lavish that it suggests another layer to this prophecy altogether. There will be nothing economical about this man's death. Just as there, will be, there was nothing economical about his life. In him, the, the extravagance of God, of God's love is made flesh. In him, the excessiveness of God's mercy is made manifest. 
Mary continues to turn all our heads to, to just how fragile this moment is, just how fragile we are and why we need Jesus. This, this bottle broken will not be held back to be kept and admired. This precious substance will not be saved. It will be opened and offered and used at great price. It will be raised up and it will be poured out for the life of the world, emptied to the last drop. And before that happens, Jesus will gather his friends together one last time at another banquet around another supper table with most of the same people present And Jesus will strip and tie a towel around his waist and will wash his disciples' feet. And then he will give them a new commandment. Go and love one another as I have loved you, and sometimes that feels like death. At least one of the disciples will argue with him while others will ponder if he had lost his mind completely, but a few will watch him working on their feet. And they're going to remember Mary, bending over Jesus' feet like that, the prophet Mary, who knew how to respond to Jesus without being told, the one who acted out his last new commandment before he ever said it the one who insisted on making sure we all knew how fragile this moment was, how fragile we all are. At a home outside Jerusalem in the the suburb of of Bethany, the the storm clouds are, are, are still piling up against the door when Mary gives us the forecast. That's what she does. It will be bad. It's gonna be really bad. Jesus is broken because we are broken. Jesus is fragile because you are fragile. It's going to be bad. But it's okay to be fragile. The fragility of the moment is no reason for Jesus' friends to lock their hearts and their heads in the cellar of some suburban home across the river. There is no reason to avoid the call of Lent and the realities of Good Friday and just show up for the lighthearted conversations at an Easter table. There is no reason to fear running out of oil or of life. For where God is concerned, and as Mary performed, there is always more. More love, more hope, more peace, more than we could ask or imagine. There is always enough. Would you pray with me?
if we have not pivoted yet, God, toward walking with you towards the cross, we ask that this would be the moment that we do. If we've been walking some other road. And quite honestly, God, this has been a hard few years, and so Lent feels dark and not at all something we want to do. We would really like to sit in the, the lighthearted conversations of Easter. But if we've learned anything from you, it's that, that you were fragile because we are fragile. You were broken because we are broken. And that it's okay. It's okay to feel like we don't want to walk this road. But you are with us. And so in this moment, God, if we have not yet pivoted towards walking with you towards the cross, towards envisioning our lives being laid down with yours to be new people for the sake of Jesus for the world, that lavish love that has no end, we do that now. We join you on that, that, that road, on that walk, we meet you this week right now in Lazarus's home. We realize how fragile it is. We sit at that table and we prepare to head across the river again to wave palms. And five days later, nail nails. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.